Good morning, welcome, thank you for joining us online today. I'm Micah, this is Sarah, we're the lead pastors at the Vine Church, and we are honored to be invited into your home uh, as we uh, celebrate together, as we explore scripture together, explore who Jesus is, what does it look like to follow him. Uh, as a reminder, we are also gathering in person on Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. Uh, at the can we still call it a new church building? It's Absolutely. just a few months old. Two or three months old. We're definitely new In here. West Pasco. And we would love for you to come check things out. Uh, join us on a Sunday morning as well. You're always, always welcome. So I'm curious as we get started today, how many of us love snail mail? Do you even know what snail mail is in this age of texts and emails? Yeah, well, it's it's all the bills and <laughs> advertisements that you get. Okay, I don't love those. No. But I love getting snail mail, especially from my grandma. My grandmother, Jackie, lives in North, um, North Carolina, and she has a whole room in her house dedicated to to crafting and making these homemade cards. She mm. has tubs of stamps and fancy paper cutters and a wall of paper. And she is such a kind and loving and encouraging woman. She has chosen to make a whole bunch of cards and she does this, has done this for years. She makes cards and she sends cards to people for their birthday, their anniversary, any any special event or sometimes it's just a general I'm thinking about you card. And so we get her cards fairly regularly. But beware the glitter. <laughs> we have learned to open them very uh, carefully because uh, sometimes she puts these very sparkly um, special things in it that tend to tend to fall out when you open them. But we just love getting these cards. There's something really special about it being homemade. And then my favorite part is her handwritten message. And, and grandma is so good about making sure that the reader understands how much they are loved and how she is praying for them. So when we get these cards, we stop everything and we read through the entire card. Speaking of snail mail, it doesn't even compare to what we're talking about today. Today, we dive into a series in the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians is a letter written by Paul to churches in Ephesus, and actually we'll talk about it later, but to a broader audience. At any rate, that was literally like hand-delivered. Someone had to travel town to town to deliver his message. Paul writes to the Ephesians about what it looks like to live in the way of Jesus. Now, we've been uh, previously for a few months in a series on the mission of God and exploring this common thread through Scripture that God is seeking healing, reconciliation, new hope in this world, uh, and he's invited his people to participate in his mission in this world. And now Ephesians, we felt like was a beautiful next step in our understanding as we look at what, what did Paul have to say about what it looks like to live in the way of Jesus, live in the way of love, to live out this mission of God. And so we read from Paul to the church in Ephesus and the church abroad, um, what it looks like to walk in and live in the way of Jesus. And so before we dive into the book of Ephesians, I want to ask this question. We want to ask this question. How do we read scripture? How do we approach scripture? And there are three things we want to bring out that are really important. First of all, when we read one section of scripture, that we read that 
in light of the entire biblical narrative. So when we read the book of Ephesus, we read that in light of God's story from the beginning, like like we were talking about in the series, The Mission of God. It's the Bible is one unified story of God's work in the world with his mission and his purpose in mind. For example, when I get my grandma's cards, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense just to read one sentence. I read the entire card. And then also I, I think about the person writing the, the context. I know my grandma. I have experience with her. I, we've lived with her. She's lived with us. And so I understand her perspective, the perspective from which she is writing. So likewise, when we read scripture, we read portions of scripture in light of the entire biblical narrative and who God is. Absolutely. So how do we read scripture? First, uh, we read in larger sections. We try to understand the broader scope. And secondly, um, we realize that scripture is contextualized. That is, it was written 2,000 years ago to a very particular audience, has been canonized, has been brought into this Bible uh, as a whole. And so as we read, we recognize the uh, kingdom message, like the kingdom perspective, the large messages that are being brought. And then we also, uh, as we contextualize, okay, this is who it was written to and how it was perceived by them. Then we also contextualize on the back end saying, and this is how it applies to, and we understand the message of God the kingdom of God applying here and now as well. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And then it's also really important to determine the purpose for which we are reading. And there are multiple ways of looking at this. Often we read for information and that's called informative reading. And that's what we're taught to do as kids all throughout school. We read so that we can master the content. Yeah, so I have to build this desk. So I need to exactly. read the instructions to- Do you ever read the instructions? No, I actually don't do that. It's a bad illustration. <laughs> But we read, we're taught to read for information, and that's really good to do with Scripture so that we know what Scripture is saying. But there's also another really important type of reading, and that's called formative reading. And so there's informative reading, we're reading for information, and formative reading, we're reading to be formed. And so we invite the Holy Spirit to transform us and to speak to us through Scripture. And since we're taught how to read uh, for information, it's really important that as followers of Jesus, we're intentional about reading scripture for formation and allowing the spirit to transform us. Transform. So how do we, how do we read scripture? We read sections in light of the entire biblical story. We look at the context of the scripture and we read both for information and for transformation. Very good. Very good. Okay. So we read today and we're going to break our first rule immediately, um, <laughs> which is read large sections of scripture. Uh, the ironic thing is that in the 20, 30 minutes we have here, mm -hmm. we, we can't generally usually get into, but we will read in light of that, the first two verses mm -hmm. of the book of Ephesians. Um, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, mm -hmm. grace and peace to you from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is Paul's introduction to his letter. It's kind of his welcome. Hey, here's who I am. Here's who I'm writing to. And it's pretty standard. Uh, Paul wrote many of the letters found in the New Testament. And, uh, and, and this is how he both addresses it to a people and, um, uh, and, and says who it's coming from. So Paul was a very well-educated Pharisee. And so he was a rabbi. He was a teacher of the law. He had studied for years the, the Old Testament, the Torah. And he was a very zealous uh, person for God. He, he's one of, he was one of those people who was all in. Whenever yes. he did something, he was wholeheartedly committed. And so he was passionate about following God. Unfortunately, when Jesus came onto the scene, he did not understand who Jesus was and how Jesus fit into the larger story of God and his people. And so he became a huge opponent of uh, Christianity, a huge opponent of the uh, of the Christians of that time. In fact, he hunted down Christians. He persecuted them. He threw them in in jail. He participated in public executions of Christians. He was wholeheartedly trying to protect um, the God he knew and the way of re the religion that he knew that he was committed to at that time. So speaking of a God of mission, a God who intends to bring humanity into the story of healing, who better than Paul, as passionate as he is, his name previously Saul, mm -hmm. uh, who better than Saul to bring into this new movement of Christianity? Mm -hmm. So that's precisely what God does, uh, or Jesus does. In Acts chapter 9, um, verses 4 and 5, um, Paul has, Saul has this incredible experience that entirely changes the course and direction of his life. Um, Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus. He's headed to the next town where he will imprison and or execute followers of the way, followers of Jesus. And, uh, and Jesus meets him there. It says this, he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. So Saul has this moment on Major the road. Moment. <laughs> yes. Uh, he's blind for days. He's led by followers of Jesus to his next location where he's cared for. And in the days that follow, his zeal turns from what it had been to the way of Jesus. He experiences a remarkable and a rapid transformation, and he sets out in a whole new direction in life. So once Paul recognizes that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, then he becomes a passionate follower of Jesus and goes wholeheartedly that direction. He uh, calls himself an apostle to the Gentiles. And the word apostle is a Greek word, and it simply means one who is sent. And we saw that in the greeting, that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, that it was God's will that he would be sent to proclaim the name of Jesus to the Gentiles. So this is Paul, this uh, man, an apostle to the Gentiles. That is, the church was already spreading within Judaism um, mm -hmm. and beginning to spread outside the walls of Judaism. But Paul, his mission specifically was to go outside of Israel to share this to all people. So Paul um, uh, goes to 
Ephesus, as well as many other places on his missionary journeys, he travels and he begins to plant churches. Um, uh, he begins to invite people to follow in the way of Jesus, uh, to become uh, disciples. So uh, Ephesus is one of the locations he goes to. Now, Ephesus is located in modern day Turkey. And Ephesus, throughout its history, was a port city, and it was a hub of trade in the Mediterranean region, okay? Now, um, it uh, not much of its ancient history is well recorded. It's kind of sketchy as what we have, but we know that in the 7th century BC, that's some 700 years before Jesus and Paul, um, the Lydian kings took charge in Ephesus, and it was actually, uh, from what we understand, a um, an egalitarian um, society in which Very men and women had some equal right and um, and participation in the society. However, Ephesus changed hands many, many times over the course of history. By the time we're in the first century, Jesus, Paul, and all of this, it's um, under Roman rule. And in fact, Ephesus housed the regional ruler, uh, the Roman ruler, um, for that, that region of the world. Now, Ephesus is maybe best known for the Temple of Artemis, um, also known as Diana mm -hmm. in, in uh, Rome. And uh, this Temple of Artemis is one of the seven wonders of the world. Um, Artemis was the goddess um, in Greek mythology of the hunt or of wild animals or of the wilderness. She was also the goddess of fertility. And so prostitution and many other practices were a part of the temple uh, worship and practice. So Ephesus as a whole was a, a very large community, um, as many as maybe a quarter million people, which is huge in this mm -hmm. uh, in this time for a city. Uh, it was wealthy, it was educated, it was diverse, and it was thriving in many ways. If you go back in Acts, in Acts um, chapter 19, you can read about Paul's experience in Ephesus. Like Micah said, he traveled on missionary journeys for, for many years, and Paul actually spent multiple years in Ephesus. He started off in the synagogue and then he moved to the public lecture hall um, talking about Jesus and sharing the gospel with people. And um, he performed many miracles in that area. In fact, if you go back in Acts, it's interesting. Uh, people would take the little handkerchiefs that touched Paul and grab them and, and touch them to sick people to heal them. Some really interesting things happened in Ephesus and many Jews and uh, many Greeks believed in Jesus. In fact, the name of Jesus was held in high regard because of Paul's ministry there. We can also read about some of the silversmiths and craftsmen who became very worried about Paul's success or really the success of, of Jesus as people came to know Jesus. They were worried that as people turned away from um, the goddess Diana, as people turned away from, from her, that they wouldn't buy all the, the items, the silver items for the temple and the worship and things like that. And so they caused a big uh, riot and they were wanting to get rid of all the Christians there. And it's interesting, as you read the story, the city clerk quieted the crowd and said, you, you have no grounds here. You can't do this. We're going to get in trouble if 
you don't stop this. And so we see that that Paul had a long history in Ephesus. He spent a long time there. He formed deep relationships with the Jesus followers there. And now he's going to be writing them this letter. Okay, so uh, one one thing I do want to mention, um, if you were reading, in, if you're looking at the book of Ephesus in your Bible, or Ephesians <laughs> in uh, your Bible, um, you saw next to, um, in verse 1, as it mentions Ephesus, a little footnote, a little letter telling you to look at the bottom. And it says in many of our transcripts and the earliest manuscripts, um, we don't, it doesn't mention Ephesus. It seems to be a little bit of a broader letter. And I think that's um, probably accurate. And I think it's worth mentioning that um, it's a little less specific a letter than some of the other letters that Paul writes to churches. In others, he's mentioning specific people and specific situations and circumstances that they're dealing with. Uh, Ephesians is written a little bit differently. It's a little bit more general uh, in its scope and a little bit more of what does it look like to walk in the way of Jesus in the first century? Absolutely. So as we begin this series in Ephesians, we want to look at the scope and the flow of the entire letter today. Um, So if you look at the first half of the book, the first three chapters, and the chapters, by the way, were added later, all the little subheadings and and the chapters and the verses, that's to help us find specific passages. But that wasn't in the original letter. It was just it was a, a letter, a, just a, a letter, just a, a long letter. So if you look at Ephesians, the first three chapters tell of what God has accomplished through Jesus Christ. They tell the gospel story and how Jesus fit into the, the grander narrative of what God was doing here on earth. So it, it looks something like this. We'll go into more detail in the future, but uh, in um, chapter one, verse four, it says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now, this idea we were adopted into sonship, this isn't uh, so much about gender, uh, son or daughter. It would apply to both, but it's actually a legal term for the heir that has an an inheritance. It, it, it speaks of you have been not only adopted, but you have an inheritance as a child of God. Super cool. Then later on in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 14, um, God, uh, Paul writes about how in Jesus, God creates one new humanity. And this is going to be a big theme um, he writes for he, Jesus, he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh, the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So that his purpose in Jesus was to bring together all these different people who were separate and apart and create one new humanity in Jesus. So the first three chapters talk about what God is doing. He's, he's adopting us. 
He's adopting people into his family and creating one new humanity mm -hmm. out of all these different people. So rich. And then the latter three chapters then talk about as those children of God who have been gathered and united as one new humanity, what it looks like to walk in the way of love. It, it speaks to our story or the story of people then that are participating in what God is doing in the world. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, um, So follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So he's saying, you have been adopted into this story. Now live it out. You have experienced the love of God. Now live it out in the world. I love, I love, love, love that language. You know, as we look at Ephesians, we, we see this phrase that's used quite a bit. Paul uses the phrase in Christ, in Christ. In Christ, by the way, is the Greek word Christos, and it simply means the anointed one. And um, back in, in ancient times, they, you didn't become a king by, you know, being crowned. Rather, they would take oil and they would anoint you. So this this title of Christ means the anointed one, the king. And so Paul will write a, quite a bit about um, what God has done for people in Christ, in the king Jesus. In Christ, people are redeemed and forgiven. We're saved by grace. In Christ, God is creating a new humanity so that we are all one, um, one humanity in Christ. In Christ, we're, we're adopted into God's family, God's sons and God's daughters. In Christ, God's love invites us in and establishes our identity as beloved children of God. Absolutely. And as those beloved children of God, Paul is going to go on to describe what it looks like to grow in love mm -hmm. and in unity. He's going to talk about what it looks like to live as this new creation that's found in Christ to walk in the way of love. And he's going to talk about some really specific things related to families and people in the first century. He's going to talk about how it plays out in your family life. And he's going to use the family model of the first century as an illustration of how the church mm -hmm. operates as well. He's going to talk about how we engage in the spiritual battle that's taking place around us to put on the armor of God. And uh, so we're excited to go further into this journey, to look more at what Paul had to mm -hmm. say to the churches and specifically the church in Ephesus, and then also how that applies to our walk as we continue to live out the way of Christ in this world. I'm super excited to, to get in to all the little details. For now, though, we're looking at the big picture, and here's Here's what I really, my takeaway from the big picture of Ephesians, from the flow. I love how Paul begins with what God has done and with what God is doing. It's about God's love. It's about God's grace. It's about God inviting us through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit into his family. And it's from that place of, of divine love and from being secure in our identity of, as being God's beloved children, that then Paul goes on to talk about, so then this is how you live. This is how it looks like. And here's, here's what's just so striking to me and, and impactful is that our faith, my faith and your faith, 
our faith doesn't revolve around um, what we can do. It doesn't revolve around my qualifications or my strengths or my self-improvement or how good I am. And that really takes a lot of the pressure off because if, if it did revolve around me and all I could do and all I was, then I know I would fall short. I wouldn't measure up. But our faith rather revolves around what God is doing and what God can do, what God continues to do. It revolves around Jesus's love and grace. It revolves around the Spirit's power to transform us and empower us. It's God's invitation for us to join him where he is already working. And that shift in perspective is really, really profound. God is at the center of this of this story that's full of grace and love. And then God's love and God's grace defines who we are. And then we, as his beloved children, are invited to participate in God's mission and his purpose. Amen to that. That is beautiful. And I'm so excited to work through this letter and, and to learn more about all of that. So we want to challenge you uh, and invite you to uh, a couple things in the week to come. Uh, first, as we mentioned earlier, um, this was a letter written by Paul uh, to the churches and meant to be read in its entirety. So we want to invite you and challenge you to take mm -hmm. in the book of Ephesians. As we come back together on Sundays, we're going to be pulling out sections of it. Uh, but it's important that each of us in our own time is taking time to read and take in this letter as a whole. There's a few ways to do it. Uh, of course, you can sit down with the Bible and it'll take you about 20 minutes to read through the book of Ephesians. Please do it multiple times this week. You can also pull up the YouVersion app uh, on your phone or your computer and you can have it read to you. So you can just sit in silence and, and listen uh, mm -hmm. as someone reads this book of Ephesians to you. Um, and then finally, if you want to, um, the uh, Bible Project has a great video that kind of um, that kind of looks at the big picture of what is uh, what is this book of Ephesians all about. So if you want to pull up the Bible Project, um, their their website or, or we'll post a link YouTube, to it. Yeah, that'd be a great way to take it in as well. So first. Take in the book of Ephesians, mm -hmm. spend time reading or listening and exploring this book. And secondly, we'd encourage you to try to experience it. This kind of moves towards that formation, mm -hmm. uh, transformational posture. So uh, seek to open our eyes to see God's love demonstrated in the week as we experience life. And secondly, to try to engage in living out that way of love as we uh, engage people and situations in the week to come. Absolutely. I invite you to pray with me as we finish here. God, we thank you for your love. We praise you because you are a God of love and that you call us your loved children, that you have um, just thrown wide open your arms to invited us into your family. And Lord, for, for those listening um, who know you, Lord, I pray that their eyes would be open, our eyes would be open um, more and more to your amazing love. And for those listening who don't know you yet, Lord, I ask that you would speak to them in a special way this week, that they too might know they're loved children of God. 
Lord, this is such a beautiful, beautiful opportunity for us. And we just thank you for, for inviting us in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, friends, with that, we're done for the day, but we've just scratched the surface, and so we can't wait to go deeper and uh, continue. We hope you'll continue to join us as we explore the book of Ephesians. Thanks for being here with us, and look forward to seeing you again soon. Have a great week.